Hey, sexy friend. He's making me his bitch. Maybe you want to get a piece of that. Pretty good. I want to talk about sexy teens. I was getting erections. It's a very creepy feeling. I can guarantee that underwear theft will come up again. None of this is relevant. Pokemon, Pokeballs. 750 milliliter bottle of rum. Welcome to the Velocity Podcast. A study in monology. This is your grumpy uncle Peter. He will say words at you. My opening thought for the day is a very short one. I was surfing the internet. As you know, since I'm on the internet and do many internet things, it's going to be a very obvious thing for me to do is surf the internet. And I got a targeted ad. Now, it's pretty clear when things are targeted because it's stuff you might actually be interested in. And that's what targeted ads are supposed to do. Usually they fail. One of the things I've always noticed about targeted ads is that they're always a bit late. I will buy shoes and then I will get ads for shoes for weeks on end. At no point does the algorithm realize, I just bought a pair of shoes. That's going to be the time when I least need another pair of shoes. Or I will buy some sort of athletic wear and then it will go crazy trying to sell me more athletic wear. What you need is the algorithm to go, he's had those shoes he bought last year for about a year and shoes last year if you wear them every day and he has a job so he probably wears these working shoes every day. So I bet those shoes are starting to wear out. We start dropping in some ads. But we haven't got to that level of technology yet and I'm actually quite thankful for it because now at least I can see what the algorithm knows and does not know about me. And since it's only hitting me with ads after I buy stuff, then clearly I haven't put too much information on the internet yet. But I got a targeted ad, and the ad was from a brand called Tactical Grizzly. And my first thought was, appropriate. Cora question, who would win in a fight if Arnold Schwarzenegger, Bruce Lee, and Sylvester Stallone, with knuckle dusters, team up in their prime versus a silverback gorilla? There are a lot of qualifiers in this question. And my first issue is Arnold Schwarzenegger is not a fighter at all. He's a big dude. He was a weightlifter and he's very strong. Sylvester Stallone did a lot of boxing and stuff for movies, but at the same time, I wouldn't put him on the same caliber as Bruce Lee. Bruce Lee, while being probably the single greatest martial artist in the world ever, isn't the biggest, strongest man in the world. And the addition of knuckle dusters, I don't think actually makes a big change to the result of this because the silverback gorilla is so naturally physically stronger than a human being, even these incredibly strong human beings that have been listed here, that it's not really a question because Arnold Schwarzenegger, as strong as he might have been, and Sylvester Stallone quite similarly, probably couldn't pull your arm off, whereas a silverback gorilla could if he wanted to. So if all three of them attacked at the same time, the only thing they could do is maybe if they could damage his eyes, then they might actually have a chance. But if that gorilla gets angry enough and decides to tear you apart, it would grab hold of something, pull it off, and that would be the end of that fight. It would only have to do it three times, and then these guys are done. I think Bruce Lee might have the best chance because Bruce Lee could probably dodge some of the gorilla's attacks at first. But 
this is a case where if the gorilla got a hold of him, there's still no question, no chances to what would happen. That would be the end of that fight. And if you go back to an earlier podcast where I talked about the time Mike Tyson in the 80s, when he was at his peak, challenged, got angry that a silverback gorilla was challenging or abusing some of the other members of the family, the monkey family that they were together with, uh, he actually offered a zookeeper an unknown sum of money to let him go in and fight the silverback gorilla. The only reason I would have liked to have that happen in real life was to find out how quickly the silverback gorilla would have killed Mike Tyson. Because Mike Tyson, again, at the time, greatest boxer in the world, he was pound for pound heavyweight champion, one of the best fighters in the world, would have been destroyed. This is like saying, like, can you stop a truck that's going 100 kilometers an hour? It doesn't matter how big you are or how good you are. Human beings are just not physically capable of doing that. And in this case, the silverback gorilla is a truck. So recently, I played the single-player campaign for Battlefront 2. And I realized that a game that took millions of dollars to develop, based on a billion-dollar franchise that only cost $6 couldn't be that bad. Now, I have reviewed one or two games in the past, and I don't do reviews the way other outlets do. I don't talk about video games very much. I don't want this to become a video game podcast, but video games are a big part of my life, and I've, I've decided to do a new style of video game review. And so I don't talk about whether or not the game is good or bad, because that's an opinion, and you can have your opinion. You might think it's good. I think it's bad. I don't think that's the way it should be done. So what I want to talk about when I talk about video games is what did I learn from the video game? What did it teach me as a person? How did I grow after having played it? So the first thing I learned, if you are refueling an Imperial Destroyer, you shouldn't refuel an Imperial Destroyer in the air over another Imperial Destroyer. Because if a small rebel incursion does suddenly appear and somehow manages to do enough damage to your Imperial Destroyer that it starts to fall out of the sky, if it's over another Imperial Destroyer, it's going to crash into that one and they're going to get a two-for-one deal on this one hit. Now, you'd think an empire, a military of the size and scale of the empire in Star Wars would have figured this out. you think this would have been a thing they could have put together. That if we have stuff floating in space over other things floating, and yet they're still gravity active, we shouldn't stack them on top of each other in case one falls down. Now that's a lesson that should have been learned. And yet I think I've seen it in multiple stories from the Star Wars universe, that this has happened more than once. The other thing I learned was that people change sides pretty quickly, but the impetus isn't usually morality. So you can spend your life going around killing and oppressing people from different planets, but you don't really realize it's bad until they get to your home planet, and then suddenly it's unfair. So if you want people to have a moral crisis, you actually have to attack their homes, which seems like a pretty awful thing to say about those characters, because what you're saying is they're completely blind to morality because then these people are not, don't really have a sense of morality, a sense of what's right and wrong or good or bad, until it affects them personally. 
a very large segment of the population might actually say that is more realistic, that people don't have a sense of morality until it affects them personally. And I'm a little torn because I agree with it and I don't. I know what's right and wrong. If you took me to another planet and said, start killing the local population, I would probably know that was a bad thing to do. I'm not saying I wouldn't do it. I can't really speak for myself because when we got to Starship Troopers and they were killing all those bugs, I was like, yay, kill bugs. But you see, that's because we now have a concept of bugs. If you then turn around and told me that all those bugs had families and children and they all talked and they would like just wanted to go home and have a peaceful life and just wanted all those mean humans to leave them alone, I would realize we had done a bad thing. So I'm kind of rambling a bit because there's no conclusion to this. All I know is that people's morality in the Star Wars universe is basically directly connected to their home planet, probably their family specifically. And the only way to get people to realize what's right and what's wrong is to go blow up their home planet. Which sort of means the Empire is going around forcing people into these situations where they have to question their own morality because they are literally just going around blowing up planets at this point. In a weird way, is the Empire just helping the universe realize what is good and what is bad? I run another podcast called Ninja News Japan. It's all about Japan and the news. It's sort of in the title. Uh, If you like this podcast, you might like that one, but it is based exclusively, the content is based on news from Japan. It's not international. It's only news from Japan. It's mostly local stories and stuff like that. Uh, I try to throw a little bit of cultural insight into it, things like that. There's a lot of commentary just like this, but it is just about the news. And that's because news has been a very big part of my life. The whole time I've been in Japan, I have taught a media literacy course. And so that means I've talked about the news and about the way the news manipulates information and what they're talking about and talking about how interviews work and things like that so that you can have a better understanding of how the news works in general. And this led me and another teacher talking about the first news stories that upset us. Because now we've read so many news stories, it's almost numb. You don't get upset by news stories because it's just information that you take in. And you have to do a certain amount of judgment as to whether it's true or not, things like that. But we're at this point where we don't really get enraged like we did when we were young and passionate. And so we were trying to recall the first news story that sort of activated your brain or got you going. And I think mine was when I was about 9 or 10 years old. And at that time, this was, you know, years and years and years ago, one of the big scourges to society was the popularization of Dungeons and Dragons. This was coming right on the tail end of heavy metal is corrupting our youth. So heavy metal and the satanic imagery was pushing our kids towards Satanism and they were sacrificing cats and stuff at concerts and all these horrible things were happening and the kids would never survive. Society would crumble. D&D was an extension of that because they saw a lot of the imagery overlapped and it was, a, it was another thing that adults didn't generally understand. I, at that time, had played D&D for about six months. At this point, it was kind of the newlywed phase. It was this a new thing. It was very exciting to me. And I understood, having played it a bunch of times, that it was completely innocent. This was just friends sitting around, telling stories to each other, making stuff up as we went along, and just being goofy. And it was actually really good because it didn't cost a ton of money. Because we basically only had one book and everything else we made ourselves. For me, realistically, the D&D part of my life would only last for about another six or eight months because my friend group wasn't organized enough to to actually keep sessions going. Uh, We didn't keep track of things that were happening. So basically, we were at an age where we weren't organized enough to actually play D&D properly over the course of a year. Now, that didn't stop me 
because I still enjoyed the fantasy aspect and the choose your own adventure path, which actually led me to, unsurprisingly, choose your own adventure books. And I've always had a love for the idea of choose your own adventure books. And there even had some that were more complicated where you had hit points at the beginning and you had to roll to see if you won a fight before you moved on to page 26. It was really funny because I always managed to win the fights. I finished the book without taking any damage at all because I didn't roll the dice. So that's how I took control. That's how I took you know, ownership over this story adventure myself. But I did like the idea of branching paths and choosing your own adventure to get to the end of the story. And so this must have been in the summertime because it was afternoon TV. They had a serious discussion as to whether or not Dungeons & Dragons corrupted youth. Did it ruin the minds of children? Because they had on a... I believe it was a priest. Anyways, it was a hardcore Christian guy. And his claim was that playing Dungeons and Dragons drove you insane. So sitting around with your friends playing a fantasy game would drive you crazy. Now, of course, the reporter being relatively responsible, not particularly, but they at least got in this one very obvious question. Have you ever played the game? And his response was no. He was actually almost panicked as he said no, because why would he play a game that would drive him insane? Now, his thinking was very logical, except that I, at nine years old, could tell you that I had not gone insane from playing Dungeons & Dragons. It was some very light fantasy, and most of the time we didn't have a clue what was going on, and we were just goofing around being kids in a basement. So this was the first time I realized I did not have the oration skills or any sort of platform with which to argue what was being said on national television and being broadcast to the world. So I knew this information was false, and I knew it was wrong, and at the same time, I also knew there was nothing I can do about it. And I think that is what actually made me upset, because I suddenly realized that information that came from television, came from the news, which is supposed to be the trusted source of information, could be factually incorrect, and people who didn't know anything about that topic wouldn't know. And there was nothing you could do about it. So from that point on, I became relatively suspicious of any news that I saw on television. When they said something was factual, when they started talking about what could happen, I immediately knew there was a possibility that person wasn't sincere and wasn't telling the truth. They were just pushing their own agenda, which, as we know, in the modern landscape is very, very normal for television as most of the opinion is presented in fact, in fact, is presented as opinion. So if you have a memory of the first story that set you off or got you actually excited or passionate about something or worked up, I would really be interested in hearing about it. You can send an email to velocipodcast at gmail.com or you can tweet at Velocipeter and I would love to continue this conversation. Hey, sexy friend. He's making me his bitch. Thank you for listening. If you have questions or comments, you can tweet at VelociPeter or email VelociPodcast at gmail.com. You can find the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Acast or go to VelociPeter.com slash podcast. Now, a pessimistic person, now a 